Matthew 22, there's a lawyer, an expert of the Old Testament law that comes to Jesus. And he brings a question. He asks Jesus the question, what is the greatest commandment? I mean, there, there are 600 plus laws in the Old Testament, specifically the Mosaic, uh, in the Mosaic law. And then you have all the different commands that were given uh, by God to his people throughout history. So out of all those commands, out of all those laws, which one is the greatest? Which one is the most important one? Which one matters the most? And Jesus, when he responds to this question, he quotes today's passage. Deuteronomy 6, 5, he says, You shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might. This is the great and first commandment. Now, if this is true, if this simple command is the first and greatest commandment in Scripture, if Jesus wants us to prioritize this above anything else, as we are starting the new year, 2022, shouldn't this be our our priority? I mean, we have different goals for our bodies, our lives, our careers, our families. We have all these different goals that are set up for the new year. But the bottom line is, according to the Bible, all those things come are secondary. And the primary issue of our life is the fact that we want to love God with our whole being. If the great commandment is really the most important thing to God, then this should be our greatest ambition for the new year. And that's why we want to look at the great commandment today. We're going to simply ask three questions from this text. Number one is, what is exactly the great commandment? Number two is, how do we obey the great commandment? Number three is, why should we obey the great commandment? So what, how, and why? So let's ask the first question. What is the great commandment? If you have your Bibles open, look at verse 4 one more time. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. In other words, love God with every fiber of your body. In every aspect of your life, love God. Don't just give part of your heart to God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Don't just give a part of your soul to God. Love the Lord your God with all your soul. Don't just give part of your might, but love the Lord your God with all your might. In other words, in totality, with everything that you have, love the Lord your God. Now, what does this mean exactly? We know that this does not mean that you simply love God and nothing else. It doesn't mean that you go into a mountain and you isolate yourself and you you disconnect from the world and you love nothing else but God. That doesn't make sense because even Jesus, when he says this is the greatest commandment, right after that he says, and the next commandment is that you love others as yourself. And so clearly this does not mean that you simply love God and nothing else. You can love other things. It's it's a good thing to love your husband or your wife. It's a good thing to love your children. It's a good thing to love your friends. It's a good thing to love all the things that God has given to you. Now, it also does not mean that that the love that you have for God simply has to be greater than other things, right? That, that's not what it means. I gave this example before, but, you know, when I think about my wife, when I say I love my wife, I love other things. But when I say I love my wife, it's, it's different, right? I don't just say I love other women, but I love my wife the most. That will be weird, right? 
and, 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 and strange, right? I, I love my wife in a way that my relationship with my wife determines every other relationship I have with women, right? That, that's how it goes. So it's not simply a comparison game. It means that you make God the center of your love. In everything that you do, you make God the center of your love. Uh, let me just give you an example. You go to a restaurant um, and with a group of friends in a safe way, hopefully not now, but down the road when it's safe, you go to a restaurant with a group of friends. If your center of love is money, when you're looking at the menu, when you're at that restaurant, what you're worrying about is, okay, how expensive is the food? Right? What's the price? Is this food really going to be worth it if that's the center of your love? If the center of your love is comfort and pleasure, you're asking the question in your head, is this food, food really going to be good? All those Yelp reviews, is, is it really true? Right? You're looking forward to this, this food. Um, you want to make sure that is pleasing to your taste. And so that's the center of your love. For some people, approval is the center of your love. And so what you do is, uh, before you do anything else, uh, when the food comes out, oh, let, let, me, let me take a picture. Right? I got to make sure people know what I ate for lunch or for dinner. Right? This is Instagram worthy. Sometimes before we pray, we, we bring out our phones and we take a photo, right? Wait, wait, stop, 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 stop. It's not like, oh, we have to pray. It's, wait, we got to take a picture first. But if God is at the center of your love, what happens is you thank God for the meal. You thank God for the fellowship that you're having over the meal. And, and that's on your mind. You're understanding that the food that is given to you, although you're paying it out of your own pocket, without God's grace, it w wouldn't be there for you. The fact that you have friends who can, you can go out and enjoy a meal together, that in itself is God's grace. So do you see how what is in the center of your love determines how you view a certain situation? So when the Bible says love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, it's not simply saying isolate yourself and love God alone. It's saying that make God the center of your love. Let the love of God determine everything else that you love in your life. Look at verse 6. It says this, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You should internalize it. It says in verse 7, as it, fill, it fills your heart, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So love God in your house when you sit in your house. Also love God on the way. In other words, love God in a private setting, love God in a public setting. It says love God when you lie down, love God when you rise. That's basically 24-7 what we do. In other words, always love God. Make the love of God the center of your love. Love him at all times. It says in verse 8 and 9, you shall bind them as signs on your hand and you shall be as uh, frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on a doorpost on your house and on your gates. In other words, loving God with all your heart, your soul, and your might means you love God with all that you have with all your life. Throughout your everyday life, you are making God the center of the attention. You are loving God, and that love is driving any other love that you have in your life. Notice this means to love God means you give your entire life to God. It doesn't mean that you just love God on weekends. It doesn't mean that you just love God on pri in private settings. It doesn't mean that you display your love for God around people that would be accepted, uh, accepting that love. 
uh, and, and hide your faith when you are around non-believers. It means that you are loving God in different ways uh, in all different circumstances. This means constantly you are asking the question, I encourage you to write this down, how does who God is and what God says affects this? You know, how does who God is and what God says affects this? What I'm saying is, how does God and what God says and who he is, how does that affect my marriage? How does it affect my relationship with my parents, with my children? How does that affect my relationship on this date? How does that relationship uh, impact my money, my time, how I meet other people? That question should be on the, uh, always on our mind, constantly asking, okay, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm talking to this person. I'm engaging in this conversation. But how does God and his word and my love for God impact what I'm doing right now? It's going to change everything that you do in your life. So what does it mean to, to obey the great commandment? It means that you obey the, this commandment with love, with your whole being, with everything that you have. You make God the love for God central to your life. That's what it means to love God with, with all your heart. Number two, uh, how do you obey uh, the great commandment then? Now that we understand what it is, how do we actually do this? Um, if you look at verse 4, it says, hear, O Israel. And because this phrase, this passage is often called the Shema in uh, Judaism. Because the word hear in Hebrew is Shema. And that word is used about 1,100 times in the Old Testament law. So it's a word that is used quite often. Sometimes it is translated as hear. Sometimes it's translated as learn. A lot of times it's translated as obey. In other words, this is a very complex word. It's not simply, you know, you hear something audibly. But it's not just talking about you understand something intellectually. But Shema, it really means that you take something to heart. And you obey it. You take something to heart and you obey it. Now, quite often, I will tell Timothy, you need to brush your teeth. And I know he hears me. But what does he do? Nothing. Right? He, he, he wants to play. Uh, does he have a hearing problem? Not a physical hearing problem. I'm pretty sure he can hear uh, what I'm saying. I'm pretty sure he also understands what I'm saying. He understands that it is time to brush your teeth. What he doesn't want to do is he doesn't want to cherish that command in his heart and obey it. Now, there are times when I would come home a little bit late and Timothy would tell me, Dad, guess what I did? I brushed my teeth, right? And, and, and why does he share that? Does he think I'm really that into his, his dental hygiene? No, he shares that because he knows that brings joy to my heart. He knows that when he obeys me, when he takes what I said to heart, and he obeys it with, with gladness, with gratitude, you know, it brings joy to me. And that's what it means to do the Shema. It's not you're forcefully doing something, but you are convicted in your heart. And not only are you just convicted in your heart, but you are living out that reality in your life. You're, or you are obeying God's word. So that's what it means to hear, O Israel. It says in Deuteronomy 6 that loving God is not just a feeling, um, it says in verse 1, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. Verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons. How? By keeping all the statutes 
and all his commandments. Verse 3, hear therefore, o, o Israel, and be careful to do them. So again, you see this idea when it comes to loving God, it's connected to this idea of hearing, learning, and obeying. You do it. That's what the Bible is telling us, that love is not simply a feeling. Now, feelings are involved, but love is more of a choice, that, that you are obeying, you are listening, you are understanding, and you are obeying God's word. And this is why it is not a surprise when Jesus, when he's done with his disciples, three and a half years, when he's commissioning them, he gives them the great commission. And what is that great commission? He gives them a mission to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, teach them to observe, to obey all that I have commanded you. So what is he doing? He's basically saying, go to the nations and, and make disciples who would obey the great commandment. That's what he's saying. I want you to teach, preach the word so that they would obey and observe all that I said. Isn't that the great commandment, basically? And so there's nothing new. Uh, how do we obey the great commandment? It's by learning and, and obeying God's word. And this is difficult at times, but if you think about it, you know, if, if we are intentional about it, we can make time for God. There are 24 hours in a day. And if you do the math, there are 168 hours a week. If this is the only time you are listening to God's word and you are exposed to God's word, you are investing about 0.5% of your life to God's word. If this is the only time that you're exposed to God's word. If you join small groups, congratulations, you are devoting 1% of your life to God's word. And then we wonder, why isn't my faith growing? Why is my love for God still the same? Why am I not changing as a believer? And, and you do the math, and it's quite obvious. You're giving 0.5 or 1% of your life to obey and to learn and, and to cherish God's word and, and expecting true transformation in your life. I'm not saying that the more hours, you know, uh, like it's going to correlate to exact transformation, but it's pretty simple. That's how much, if that's how much we care about God's word, then we'll never learn how to love God. We need more exposure to God's word throughout our everyday life. So one application I want to throw at you guys this year especially is to join a Bible reading plan. Now, in the previous years, we always did a one-year plan where we would read through the entire Bible. For example, in our youth group last, last year, we had um, about 30-plus people who started in the beginning Four made it to the end. And so, man, that is a big deal. You're a teenager. You have a lot to do. And you devote your time on a daily basis to read through the entire Bible. We have a seventh, we have a seventh grader, an eighth grader, and then we have uh, someone in tenth grade. And so it is super encouraging. But if you simply do the math again, it takes about 15 minutes for you to read a portion of the Bible for you to read through the entire Bible for one year. 15 minutes, 24 hours a day, that's 1,440 uh, 1, minutes a day. And so if you can simply devote 1% of your time on a daily basis, you can read through the entire Bible. Just 1% of your time. Not 5, not 10. Just give God 1% of, of, of your time and you can read through it. Now, but one thing that we want to do this year is instead of choosing a one-year plan, we actually decided on a two-year plan. Uh, 
It's, and it's not because we think people can't do it. Uh, we know that you guys are more than capable of reading through the entire Bible. But sometimes when you're in a rush and when you're trying to read the entire Bible and you're reading like four chapters a day, um, you're speed reading, uh, you're, you're, things are just going over on top of your head and you're not really processing. And what the Bible tells us is that it never says to just read the Bible. It says to meditate on the Bible. Blessed is the man who walks not in the pathway of, of the wicked, but those who meditate on God's word. They, they are like a tree planted by streams of water, Psalm 1 says, that they would always flourish. That, that there is true value in meditating on God's word. And so what we wanted to do as a church is just slow down a little bit. What we're going to do is if you follow this reading plan, in one year you will read through the entire New Testament. You will read through the entire Psalms and you'll read about half of the Old Testament. And all you have to do is read two chapters a day. Two chapters a day, that it. That's it. And then if you do this next year, then in two years, you have read through the New Testament twice, once through the Old Testament, and twice through the Psalms. And if you say, well, that's too easy, then I encourage you to go even further. You know, you can feel free to pick another plan that where you would read the Bible intensely. I'm just saying that this is a good start for a lot of us. So that's one way we can learn and obey God's word this new year. But also notice in this text today that learning and obeying God's word does not happen individually. It is something that's personal, but it also happens in community. Look at verse 7 one more time. It says this, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. So, of course, when you sit in the house, you're talking to your children. But a lot of times when you're talking by the way, you're, you're talking, you're speaking to other people. Although this command specifically does apply to the household, um, our personal household, it is also applying to the entire household of God. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 5, you see that the entire nation of Israel is gathered in front of Moses. And it is in that context that Moses is declaring these words in chapter 6. So what you need is not only do you need to raise your family in faith by sharing God's word and by learning God's word together and by, by applying God's word together, you need to engage in the family of God. And, and learn how to obey God's word. That's why we have life groups. That's why we have, you know, different avenues where we can share God's word. That's why we make a community Bible reading plan. Because we know that alone we are weak, but together we are strong. There's an African proverb that says, if you want to go quick, go alone. But if you want to go long, go together. You know, there's this idea all throughout scripture where this Christian living is done in community. So that's how we obey the great commandment. We obey the great commandment by learning and obeying God's word personally and also in community. And this leaves us with the last question, why? Why is this a big deal? Why does Jesus say this is top priority, number one priority? Why should we obey the great commandment? Why should we love God in such a sacrificial way? Why do we pay such a big price to love God? Why do we have to make loving God central to everything that we do in our life? Where our text gives us two reasons for that. First reason is this. We should love God with all we have because he alone is Lord of all. We should love God with all we have because he alone is Lord of all. Look at verse 4 one more time. It says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And out of that statement flows out the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. The only reason why God 
asks you to love him in such ways because he's the only one who deserves that type of love. Because he is Lord and he is God and there is no other. And that's so true. It, we live in a world where based on different regions, traditions, you know, family backgrounds, people say that you can believe in different gods. People will say in our postmodern culture, well, you have the right to believe whatever you want to believe. But what the Bible tells us that, no, there is only one true God who is worthy of all your affection, who is worthy of all your time, who is worthy of all your money, who is worthy of all your talents, who is worthy of everything in your life. And that is the Lord God. Him alone deserves your undivided attention and devotion. So if you fail to obey the great commandment, it's not that you simply lack love for God. You're actually committing idolatry. Because what it means, if you're not fully loving God with all your heart, that means you're loving other things with your heart. That means with your might and with your soul, you're clinging on to other things. And that's why Jesus says this is number one priority. I mean, you go back to the garden Eve, yes, she was deceived, but wasn't it really this, this, this battle that happened in her heart where before she was all in with God, that God was her Lord, but all of a sudden she thinks she can be her own Lord and God. And isn't that the beginning of sin? Isn't that idolatry? And so what God is saying is if you get this right, everything is going to fall under this commandment. God alone deserves your undivided attention and your love and your affections. If you love money, people, other things, those things are not necessarily bad, but those are terrible gods. Like they don't, they don't demand your full affection. Only God, him alone, demands your full love. But here's the second reason why we obey the great commandment. We obey it because um, God alone is the Lord of all, but we obey it also because God alone saves all. God alone saves all. I, I love how this chapter ends. Um, it says in verse 20, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? So you see this is a household, a family where the father is faithfully teaching his children how to walk in the Lord, obey God's word. And one day, you know, of course, this kid comes up and says, dad, why do I have to do all this? You know, why do I have to love God in such a way? Why do I have to take, go this extreme when it comes to loving God? And I love the fact that the response that the father gives is because God, it's not because God says so. It's not another command, well, just do it. If not, you're going to perish. It's not a threat. What the father gives is a story, a story of salvation. It says, verse 21, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous. Again, Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. He brought us out from there. And he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commands us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always. That he might preserve us alive as we are this day, and it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God. So the Father 
instead of giving a simple answer, he gives a story, the story of the gospel. Now, for the Old Testament people, the greatest salvation story was the story of Egypt, right? How God delivered them from Pharaoh, from Egypt, from bondage and slavery. For us, the greatest story that we know of salvation is the story of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. We were blessed, we were loved, we were saved because Christ came to this world and and he died for our sins and and he gave us new life so that we don't have to go back to our old life. And, and that is why we obey. Not out of fear, but out of gratitude, we obey with a willing heart. Remember, God created us so that we could have an intimate relationship with him. Uh, no other creation you know, was created in God's image. Only mankind is uniquely created in God's image. Meaning, mankind has the unique capacity to connect to God and relate to God in a certain way. Mankind only has alone has the unique ability to have an intimate relationship with God because we are created in God's image. Sin destroys that image, but Jesus restores that image and restores our life through, um, through the gospel. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And not only was this son um, the savior of all, but this was a demonstration of God's love. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That is... That's your God. That is the Lord God, the maker and the creator of all things, who is holy, perfect in every possible way. However, he, for some reason, says, I want to spend time with you, that I care about you. I mean, what else could you and I live for that is greater than this? There's nothing. And so this year, I know we have a lot of plans, but more than anything, let's love God, not with part of our heart, with everything that we have, love God, learn and obey his word personally and in community. And as we do that, let's remember that's what's driving us is not fear. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray.